Welcome everybody to the Internet of Assets, uh, the podcast about the not so distant future of finance. My name is Jelle Paul, founder and director of Dust Network. And every episode, me and a guest will dive into a specific aspect of the financial sector. We try to do this in a maximum of 20 minutes. And uh, we all have busy lives. In this episode, we'll be discussing tokenization. And more importantly, how can we get the mainstream to care about where it's headed? And I'll be discussing this with uh, Sherman Vosmeer. Welcome, Sherman. Hi, thanks for inviting me. Sherman, you're the author of the book Token Economy, founder of Token Kitchen, and also Blockchain Hub Berlin. Uh, quite a quite a career where I believe you started in arts, then went to academia, uh, and then to tokenization and authorship. Can you tell us a little bit about how all this happened? Okay, yeah, it didn't start in arts. I actually have my my degree in business uh, administration and kind of IT management. Uh, then went into arts and then came back into kind of the startup world in, in Berlin and then where everything overlapped, art, tech, etc. And then I, I kind of entered the Bitcoin blockchain rabbit hole, uh, started the blockchain hub in Berlin back in 2015 when most people didn't know what blockchain was and maybe had heard of Bitcoin a bit, but there was still many weird rumors about this thing, right? <laughs> and uh, the reason I started Blockchain Hub, it was a kind of education platform for all things, kind of Blockchain Web3 related. And my aim was to make it accessible to a general audience, um, uh, the technology and its applications and where it's headed also from kind of a uh, kind of not only from a business or tech level, but like a general, like where's like, how is this a game changer? Uh, why is this the next generation internet? And then, yeah, things just happened. Um, so it uh, a website became kind of a, a mini think tank and, and we started working groups with kind of uh, people from different walks of life, lawyers, techies, et cetera, trying to figure out all the concepts of what can we do? With this new thing and uh, eventually i was invited to start a research institute uh, start uh, co-founding a research institute in vienna the research institute for crypto economics at the vienna university of economics um, which we uh, started back in 2018 and i did that for two years uh, the aim there was to kind of continue the research activities uh, the private research activities in a more academic back kind of um, setting and it was very interdisciplinary because a lot of the questions around uh, kind of the uh, Web3 applications and, and I think like the tokenization is like the killer application um, uh, are not only technical questions, not only uh, business questions, uh, but also legal questions and ethical questions. So we have, you can't only like analyze this from one perspective. So our aim was to uh, bring academia and startup world together. Um, and uh, now I'm uh, back in Berlin or uh, not really in Berlin, <laughs> doing token right now in Curacao for a project, actually a tokenization project. But um, uh, I started Token Kitchen, yeah. where we're really now focusing on like how to design token systems. So why is it called Token Kitchen? Because I think uh, the more, especially for tokens that steer networks, right? And not simple asset tokens, mm -hmm. um, uh, the tokenization of uh, kind of money or tokenization of a security is quite 
um, intuitive, right? Uh, it's not as simple. You need uh, uh, safe technical solutions that are also regulatory compliant, right? Yeah. But we basically know the dynamics of an asset. Uh, what yeah. we don't know so much is, is um, innovation, not per se the instrument. Exactly. The instrument, we already know that we probably yeah. need some more a sound regulation around kind of tokenization of assets, but it's not rocket science. It will just take some time where we really need to do a, a lot of applied research and development is around tokenization of communities. Right. The what I call purpose driven tokens, tokens that steer, for example, a social network, a token that steers or that tries to incentivize CO2 emission reduction yeah. or a token that steers a general DeFi DAO. Right. So depending what the, on the purpose of your community, you need to have different token governance rules. Right. And and and. Because this is a new thing, we don't know how to do it. Uh, so we we have very few best practices, etc. So what I'm focusing on with Token Kitchen is on the engineering, uh, the economic engineering, mostly ethical, uh, legal, right. economic engineering. Of very much in the kind of no tokenized and what incentive to give, but also or also very uh, governance. Yes. Well, mechanism design is governance. You know, I, it's like it's, it's not like governance. And then there's a mechanic. The whole point of a mechanism is to have automated governance. Mm. So it's like a proof of work in Bitcoin mm. is a governance mechanism yeah. uh, that was once automated, sometimes upgraded. And the point is to have a consensus about how you want to steer the system. You then implement it into code, which self-enforces itself. But sometimes, every once in a while, we realize that, oh, um, circumstances have changed. Or, uh, for example, block size debate in Bitcoin, right? So we need new governance rules. Yeah. So we need to discuss this, right? And then once we reach consensus, we implement it. And um, But it's all about governance like basically protocol design is governance design right um and um but like the incentivization of a peer-to-peer -peer computing network that settles transactions or settles a kind of smart contracts yep. has to be different to um mechanism design of a social network and for example when i analyze the use case of steemit the centralized yeah. social network that had a lot of traction for for a while uh, over 1 million users etc it was kind of a best practice for a decentralized application it and it had a really good in the wild right Right. Uh, and it was really a best practice and it, it, it the value proposition was amazing. But what they, they really failed at the mechanism design of their core token, which was the core application token, which was Steam Power, uh, which was supposed to be a reputation token of the system. So to incentivize uh, users to contribute yeah. with posts. Uh, and other users to kind of curate those posts. But what they did uh, was um, they uh, designed, the mechanism design of that incentive token was not tied to your identity. But if you don't rep tie reputation to an identity, if you can buy and sell reputation, reputation. like on the stock yeah. market, right? If you can buy reputation with outside money, 
you can like you have more power to vote over good content. And what happened yeah. after a while and why people dropped out was because there were too many inequalities in the system. Late uh, late movers couldn't uh, really make any money with contributions anymore. Yeah. Plus, because of the delegation, you could delegate your steam power to bots that were optimizing on like clickbait content. So nobody wants a social network with clickbait content. So what we can see from <laughs> Steemit is that um, unfortunately, if the mechanism design is not sustainable and does not really support on a long term uh, the um, kind of goal of the network and the goal of the Steemit network, they had it as a value proposition for a long time until they when <laughs> they, they then uh, <laughs> erased it. Uh, when it didn't work anymore, they erased it from the website. Uh, but the value proposition is incentivizing kind of quality content. Yeah. Well, yeah. and uh, because so how can we incentivize sustainable kind of uh, mechanisms to incentivize the social network contributions and social network curation would be such a mechanism design question. And that mechanism design is a function of the purpose of the network. So a social media network can be gamed in another way than a peer-to-peer -peer computing network. No, exactly. And this so, is and, one of the fundamental yeah. questions that we see, right? So we've do we've kind of dove in straight in and that's great. So uh, we're looking at how decisions are made in, in networks, governance, mechanism design. And one of the fundamental questions or one of the things that I run into a lot is, okay, so what is a blockchain in the sense of, so it can be protocol and application, but are they essentially uh, 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 communities or can they be compared to countries or democracies, right? Or are they companies? And they have very different mm -hmm. mechanisms, right? So companies typically uh, uh, one vote per share. Uh, so you have a stake, so to say, uh, and you can up that uh, by using finance, which is kind of what happened in Steemit, where they may uh, uh, or they they should have potentially gone for more of a democratic or country-like design, where it's one person, one vote, right? So does the share have the vote or does the person have to vote? And this creates vastly different uh, 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 ecosystems. Of course. Uh, that's a very relevant question. So... Um... I think, or what I've, uh, not I think, uh, like what we've defined in our research is that actually blockchain networks, uh, like the Bitcoin network and, and similar blockchain networks are really decentralized autonomous organization, especially Bitcoin, right? Yeah. Uh, uh, Bitcoin is much more autonomous in a way than uh, than Ethereum because it doesn't even have that foundation yeah. uh, layer. Um, and uh, and so they are much more similar, these DAOs that are really decentralized because mm -hmm. we have a lot of nowadays, very often we define things as DAOs, which are decentralized organizations rather than autonomous organizations. Yeah. So autonomy means that nobody, there is no single unit that has more control than other units, right? Um, and um, the more autonomous kind of, it is the more resemblance uh, these DAOs have with nation states, right? Yeah. Where the governance, because like the protocol of a nation state, whether it's a democracy or an autocracy, there is always kind of a constitution, right? Yeah, now, the concept it can of a constitution is key because it gives direction okay, to follow-up so, governance. So the protocol, <laughs> the protocol, of blockchain networks or other DAOs 
uh, can be compared to the constitution of na- nation states mm. and what how these constitutions are defined. But the difference between a written like paper constitution and the protocol like m- m- kind of a, a blockchain constitution um, is that uh, it, the, the blockchain constitution is written in code in form of a protocol that is automatically enforced based on the mechanism design, right? Um, so, but as we can see already, even within blockchain networks, uh, there are different types of constitutions. The Bitcoin network has a different constitution to the Ethereum network. And you see a lot of, you know, philosophical, almost religious debate of what is right <laughs> and what is wrong, right? Well, also because um, so, run into on-chain governance, which is what you describe or which which you bake into the protocol, right? And then you have kind of the meta governance where uh, where you decide on those mechanics. So we can also collectively reach consensus on that future consensus might be reached in a different way, right? Uh, and that's yes. a very interesting intersection of, uh, yeah, you kind of get into the who watches the watchman thing or who changes the constitution potentially, or could it be changed? Like a democracy can never vote to stop being a democracy, right? So is that the same for for, for blockchain governance? Well, we, I'm not sure that what you just said is right, because <laughs> we saw that a democracy was changed to not being a democracy anymore in Austria in the 30s, in Germany in the 30s. Right. Um, so these were democratic governments that were overthrown through democratic processes. Uh, um, uh, so, um, but yes, what you're saying um, is, is correct, um, that uh, the the code, the protocol, which represents the constitution of a blockchain network or a different DAO, um, we define it and then it's, you know, automatically enforced. But then like the members of that DAO at some point decide uh, we need to change it. And then the messy human process of negotiating mm-hmm. what is right yeah. and what is wrong oh, and I which direction goodness. should be head. And so what uh, what uh, in one of my graphics in my book, and it's also available on Medium, I have this kind of, uh, which we did get, together with Michael Zarkham from, from Block Science, this like steering of blockchain networks. Mm-hmm. So the protocol is that, a computational constitution and there is this feedback loop of the humans that kind of reach a human consensus and they negotiate and then they put it whatever consensus they reach they put it into formalize it in code in a democracy you would formalize it in in terms of writing a new law right mm-hmm. and but the laws in the blockchain networks are written in form of code and then they're implemented and now you as a stakeholder in the bitcoin ethereum or network or other dao you can vote over improvement proposal in bitcoin it's bips in yeah. uh, ethereum's eips right in other daos uh, they have different names yeah. um so and then as a member of this dao you vote for it and um to get back uh, so in that sense really DAOs have much more resemblance uh, with nation states than companies. But what you said about like one person won't vote. Uh, again, if we, uh, it's true, uh, all the current or early DAOs, uh, especially blockchain protocols, have been plutocratic. So uh, your vote is tied to the number of tokens you have in the system, the money you have. And in that, it is very similar to how Greek democracy started 2000 years ago. Uh, it wasn't the type of democracy we have now because only specific people were uh, allowed to vote men, not women, no foreigners, and 
and uh, only men with a specific uh, level of wealth, they yeah. could vote. So was that a democracy in the sense of what we say is democracy today? No. Um, and that evolved, right? And when you look back into the 18th century, not everyone could vote. Women couldn't vote. And uh, and then kind of the wo- vote of the uh, kind of wealthy weighted more than the vote of yeah. the unwealthy and uh, unle- until we change that. that impacted the so, democratic process exactly so even if we look at the uh, um, how democracy evolved over time in europe um uh, that has changed right and we moved away from plutocracy to more inclusion and one person one vote so why can't we do that in in, in bitcoin in the bitcoin network uh, because the whole point was to have an anonymous payment network so you can create uh, more, more wallets and fake mm. identities so uh but um i think as we will be moving on into more complex applications as uh, the Web3 community is really working hard to create decentralized identities, standards like DIDs, carry, et cetera, mm-hmm. to have complex identity standards that allow you to like, be the sovereign of your data, uh, w- plugging into blockchain networks uh, as a component in this Web3, but allowing you to uh, tie your identity to your real world identity so we can issue everything from driver's licenses to to um, yeah. uh, certificates, uh, etc., but also do complex DeFi stuff maybe with it. Um, do you think it's less, desirable? On, because you mentioned in your introduction also that yeah. to really grasp these concepts, you need to know a lot uh, about, or at least a little about a lot, but preferably a lot about a lot, right? So it's legal, it's business, yeah. it's it's game theory, yeah. the doll. The, the whole gambit. So let's say uh, in a proof of stake or in an identity-driven uh, protocol, we're able to do one person, one vote, right? But is it then desirable uh, to have uh, a democracy in where uh, uh, the technocrats have the same weight as uh, as an everyday user? This is a very good question. <laughs> and uh, I guess... Um, this is something we need to discuss. Uh, so I'm really happy you're asking all these questions because finally we're at the stage where we're uh, in crypto, where we're having more differentiated discussions towards yeah. how we want to implement. And I think each DAO um, yeah. is a different community. And depending on the type of DAO and depending on the community, we will have different approaches to how what equality means. Uh, okay. uh, uh, if we want equality, uh, if that is desirable, <laughs> yeah, exactly. uh, etc. This is not like my truth, it's not your truth, right? The good thing about the Web3, the internet-based governance, and, and, and this generation internet, this Web3 allows us really to, it's a governance technology. Bitcoin is in, gave us a governance technology. Yeah. And uh, I know a lot of Bitcoin people hate the word governance, but basically it's a governance technology, right? But it's, it's a dinosaur of how, how governance can be in, in, in the Web3. And we're seeing that there is, we have to still find out to, like there's two things we need to find the balance. The balance of what can we meaningfully automate and where do we still need humans yeah. and what is the human steering process yeah. and like and we won't be able and i'm 
whether we like it or not, because of the mental transaction costs, we won't be able to co-decide on everything because mm -hmm. we don't have the time. There is a reason that we like have representative democracy and not direct democracy because mm -hmm. direct democracy in big societies, like it's like overwhelms you, right? Um, and and because you don't just simply don't have the time, this is why you delegate. But once you delegate, this is when you have the problems of can we trust these people uh we have the mm. whole principal agent dilemma the good thing about this technology is that in theory if done correctly we have higher levels of transparency of what is happening yeah. and if we delegate the decisions and we are we are delegating the decision of do i know like even i don't know like if if somebody has to decide over the kind of improvement of the blockchain ethereum protocol i don't understand i'm delegating to the people like vlad and vitalik and and all the core developers in the ethereum community or all the core developers in the bitcoin community that they know what they're doing and i might follow them on twitter but i don't fully understand Right. Uh, right. We've uh, got an ID that you find them trustworthy, right, or capable. So, so when I have to decide over a fork, uh, I <laughs> I still have to trust, right? Yes. There is no such thing as trustless trust. But there are things that we can meaningfully automate, and then there are things where we need to figure out how do we want to have this human decision process over the continuous development of those protocols. Right. This is something we need to talk about much, much more. And that's and, a very and we need one because I see for me it's really come to life over the last, let's say, 18 months. So previously I had a reasonable understanding about governance, but now, for example, with Dusk, we're uh, maturing our uh, technology into the wild, right? So we're looking at okay, what kind of DAO or ecosystem of DAOs and maybe uh, a decentralized organization that might not be as autonomous or like which flavors do we need in the wider governance ecosystem, right? Because one of the things that is relevant for my constitution is that this protocol is designed for the financial markets of the world. So whatever happens, I do not want improvement proposals to pass that make our technology uh, and, uh, by the intrinsically illegal, for example, for financial processes. So we have a pretty wide decision scope. We can go A, B, C, but whatever these options are, right, should not lead to uh, 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 yeah, financially illegal outcomes or things like that. So that's something that you need to take into account. Like, okay, so what does a DAO look like that uh, uh, at least for itself, for regulated processes, right? Blockchains that are going to be used by stock exchanges, for examples, that they trust that whatever direction something very deeply under the hood takes uh, will be compliant, right, with the world's financial regulators. So for me, that's a kind of constitutional limit uh, that really made governance come to life around like, okay, so how do we do this in a smart way, right? Like, so, so how are these ultimately technical decisions? How can they be uh, looked uh, uh, at via like the correct lens uh, to ensure that we don't limit them, but that they also don't... Uh, uh, um, disrupt the, the the whole value proposition of this protocol right like we have to stay within certain boundaries ultimately and that can be as basic as we cannot mint new stuff on bitcoin that's a boundary right that makes exactly. it value uh, uh, and this is also one of the boundaries that for the use cases that obviously we want to go for should give it value because what's the point in building something on a protocol that might not be for the financial sector anymore at any point in time right <laughs> exactly yeah, exactly. So 
Yeah, I fully agree. So depending on the type of use case, what you're trying to build, you need, we will need to, whether we like it or not, right? We will need to probably comply with nation national regulation. Uh, one of the challenges I see and we've already faced in the web two is that the problem is that national regulation is patchy and scattered, yeah. right? Um, I think the web three, we're, yeah. So we're at this uh, very uh, intersection of the internet mm -hmm. community, like coordinating over the internet. It's not new, like it started in the early internet. It magnified in the web two, but the yeah. web two was controlled by centralized entities. And uh, we are giving even more autonomy to, to certain actors in the web three. Uh, but we don't have to fool ourselves that we will still always have points of centralization around knowledge. Yeah. Uh, knowing how to code a blockchain protocol mm. is knowledge, understanding, understanding mechanism design or the psychology of mass psychology of networks to be able to decide over, um, for example, the mechanism design of a social network. Um, is it desirable to to like where is democracy or complete inclusion beneficial? And where does it slow you down? And where does it, you know, uh, where do you need experts? And um, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. And very often I'm, I feel that the crypto community tries to reinvent the wheel and mm -hmm. they're like, oh, we can code everything. And then you have like a bunch of like really capable uh, computer scientists and physicists and math people, they're savvy at their thing, but they're not political scientists. They don't understand cognitive psychology or behavioral science and and what, what motivates people. They don't understand, like, and we saw it in the DAO. I was part, I was one of the curators of the DAO. We saw it like uh, uh, that, you know, uh, it was you, uh, the, the people who kind of, um, conceptualized the governance rules of the DAO back in 2016, assumed that everybody would vote on everything or, uh, well, they didn't really assume that. No. <laughs> they assumed that a lot of people would follow the whales, right, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. in the decision-making process. But then we had a problem because, uh, if I remember correctly, the minimum quorum was 20%. But then we that was even too high because 20% of the token holders wouldn't participate. I, I don't quite remember if it like it's been a while now, and I think we reduced it to 10%, right? right. So uh the reality of how how much people can really participate is very different of uh on how much they want to participate. And we have this know-how. Political scientists have studied that for not only decades for but centuries. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I think what we need to understand is that uh, protocols and, and smart contract, complex smart contracts that steer DAOs uh, need not only tech people who, who put it into code, but need for, first and foremost savvy social scientists, political scientists, but also like especially a lot of uh, economics, you know, microeconomics. If you talk about monetary politics, you know, having your yeah. own token, DAO token, this is monetary politics. You need a macroeconomist, right? Not, not 
a random economist. Economy is like, you know, it's like a microeconomist won't help you. You need a macroeconomist who understands monetary also, policy. One of the main things in, 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 in mechanism or game theoretical wise is that the majority will ultimately, in most cases, follow the money. So it's one of the, the most important things to get right. Exactly. Yeah. So I think what we need to understand and what I try to advocate is that we need to hire people from different walks, uh, kind of uh, with uh, much more, um, depending on what kind of kind of DAO we're trying to create or a protocol we're trying to create. We need a lot of people with um, um economics not business background in economics uh depending you know behavioral economics uh micro like game theory is microeconomics mm. but we don't only need microeconomists because this is like we also need the macroeconomists like you have the micro meso and macro level mm. and and we need the, and and then we need behavioral economists who understand like how people really behave because the assumption of profit maximizing individuals this is like uh, mainstream economics still builds on theories that are really outdated um, uh, because we know from behavioral science and behavioral economics that uh, like profit maximization is one of eight different behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. We still build our economic mechanisms on that. And actually uh, the Bitcoin uh, protocol builds on game theoretical concepts that are from the more or less 60s. It doesn't account for, you know, collaborative behavioral game theory and collaborative game theory etc so uh yeah there is still a lot of um trial and error research and development we need to do um but i think we're in a we live in very interesting times i think that's um that's a good direction to uh to start wrapping up and we're approaching on the on the half hour already you mentioned well, obviously, all the things that organizations need to take into account, right, to design these blockchains. So that's on the uh, uh, kind of institutional or ecosystem side. Uh, the other side of the coin is getting people interested, whether it be, albeit through representation or directly, you name it. Uh, um, any final thoughts on that one? How can we get maybe the everyday person who, who doesn't care about Web3 or blockchain or you name it, interested in helping to voice their opinion on the shape of the future of the you know the internet well uh yeah this is a very good valid question this is the reason why i wrote my book so token economy is actually catered to a general audience an audience that is not necessarily tech savvy but and 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 i try to um and i think this is why it's been kind of selling so well uh uh, it caters to an interested audience and tries to explain the technology, but also its applications and the socioeconomic implications. And one of the chapters, last chapter, is about how to design your token system, where I, I, I describe the different kind of um, questions you need to ask yourself mm. when you're trying to design a token system and the composition of team members you need. But uh, it really helps probably to read the book. I recently put it online in GitHub, so I don't need uh. to sell it. I'm not trying to sell it. It's for free <laughs> on GitHub. Whoever doesn't want to buy it. Um, and and um, I think education is key, right? So before we can start co-shaping um, um, this next generation internet, um, I, we need to understand the fundamentals. And I hope that this book can be a contribution to understanding the fundamentals and why is it different than the previous internet and 
oh, how can we co-shape it? And yeah, so go on GitHub, look for token economy. And, yeah. we'll, we'll be sure to link it in the description. And I think it's a very valid contribution to also, well, first get people to care and then we can start co-shaping, right? Exactly. And I think people are caring. So uh, um, um, you see a lot. So I was really surprised. Uh, um, there were so many people who then started translating it into different languages because <laughs> they apparently they care. And, and, and uh, there is a lot of... Uh, um, interest especially of those who who are not you know who don't really understand technology so well but they want to understand but you need to to be able to digest it for them and what is happening and put it into perspective but i i feel that people are really interested and the frustration of how the world is working currently even more is quite high so <laughs> we might have a good momentum <laughs> uh, let's yeah. try at least ending uh, ending it on a on a positive outlook Exactly. So education is key. Let's start with education. I think uh, podcasts like yours are, are amazing. And then it's, it's a matter of trial and error and time. <laughs> well, thank you so much. <laughs> it was a great pleasure uh, talking to you, Sherman. Tokenization expert and author, obviously. Uh, my name is Jelle Paul, and this was the Internet of Assets, uh, the podcast about the not-so-distant future of finance. 